Well, hello and welcome everyone to BlendCouragesYou.com, where we are here with the Word of God to help encourage you to stay on the wall. I am Blend, and I count it a privilege and a blessing to be here with you hosting today's podcast. Well, up for today, we are going to continue our series looking at the book of Ruth. We're going to get into Ruth chapter 3. So get your Bible, get your notebooks, everybody, and get ready. Let's dig into what the Lord has for us in Ruth chapter 3. Coming up next. BCU family, we're going to dig into our study momentarily. Just want to say to those of you who hadn't got a chance to listen to Ruth chapters one and two, we do have the notes and the podcast right here on the blendcouragesyou.com website. So go ahead and take a look at that. It's under series and studies, and it also should be in the featured items right on the front page. So if you want to pause this, go and catch up, you certainly can. If you don't have that time right this minute, don't worry. We'll do a little bit of a highlight reel for both chapters one and two before we get into chapter three. So let's get started. So in Ruth chapter one, we have Elimelech, his wife Naomi, and their two sons, Malon and Chilion, moving from Bethlehem to Moab due to a famine. After a space of time, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, passes away, and eventually her sons marry Moab natives Orpah and Ruth. Tragically, the sons pass away, leaving the three widows to fend for themselves, which was problematic in the ancient world. Naomi decides to go back to Bethlehem after hearing that the famine is over and pleads with her daughters-in-law to stay in Moab, find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. And that's Ruth chapter 1, verse 9. In other words, Naomi is urging those young ladies to go back to their parents' house to meet someone else and start their lives over. Orpah goes back home to her family, but Ruth vows to take Naomi on as family and accompanies her back to Bethlehem at harvest time. So our main takeaway for Ruth chapter 1 is love should not change in the hard times. And for a scripture reference, check out 1 Corinthians chapter 13. In Ruth chapter 2, Ruth decides to go out and glean just happening to land in Boaz's field to help bring food in for both her and Naomi. The law specified that gleaners, the poor, the fatherless, strangers, and widows, picked up purposely unharvested produce, grain, and things along those lines to help feed themselves and for the owners to be a blessing to someone else. Ruth's reputation, demeanor, and hard work was noticed and rewarded as Boaz made special provisions for her safety, mealtime, and ensuring her gleaning was very productive. There are a couple of ah ahas here, waiting and evaluating relationships with the help of the Lord, and that it's important to keep your integrity at all times. Proverbs 22 and 1 speaks to that. 
So when we last left off, Naomi remembered that Boaz was a kinsman or kinsman redeemer. So chapter 3 opens where Naomi asks Ruth about seeking rest for her, that it may be well with her. In other words, that was Naomi's way of asking, let's see if we can arrange a marriage. Listen, with that, there is rest in settling down. Now, I want to be clear that this is not how to get a man in four easy chapters podcast. Now, if that happens, we thank God for it. That is certainly not why we are here. The reason that I bring that up, that rest in settling down is, is that God wants us to settle down in him. If we take a look at the book of Hebrews, chapter 3, verses 8 through 11, talks about faithfulness and how the children of Israel hardened their hearts in rebellion, faithlessness, disobedience, and unbelief during their 40-year trip, testing God to a point where he said, they shall not enter my rest. And that's verse 11. The Israelites were in bondage for over 400 years, escape and see so many miracles. For example, the parting of the Red Sea in Exodus 14, food provisions like manna and quail in Exodus 16, and were supposed to enter the promised land. And that was talked about in Exodus chapter 3. Verse 7, flowing with milk and honey as a rest. Scholars say that that trip was about 250 miles and would have taken anywhere from about two weeks to a month, just depending on how you traveled and slept and all that sort of thing. That trip, 250 miles, took 40 years, 40 years, and only Joshua and Caleb out of that bunch made it along with those under the age of 19. And that's Numbers chapter 14, verse 29. Now, who wants that testimony where you get so close to the promised land and you don't make it in? Oh, no, no, no. We want that rest. Amen? Amen. Furthermore, furthermore, family, Jesus said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. And that's in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 29. Listen, family, we want a soul that's at rest now and later. So we can rest in God's word, his plans, and his path here so we can make it there. And there means heaven. If we don't believe him now, we can't believe in later. We got to believe him for now and for later. Amen. 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 Also, be mindful because verse 12 in the same book of Hebrews cautions us to beware lest any of us have an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Furthermore, we are to encourage one another while it is today for now so our hearts are not hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. That's chapter, that's verse 14. 
in Hebrews chapter 3, and Hebrews chapter 4 verse 1 reminds us to be cautious lest we fall short of the promise of God's rest. Unbelief is a lack of faith. Lack of faith is a sin. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. And that's in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. While we may struggle with it from time to time, especially when things are going sideways, we certainly don't want to practice unbelief and distrust of God. When we think about it, we distrust the same God that spoke this earth into existence, knows us by name, knows how many hairs are on our heads, and knows our every thought, the beginning from the end, loves and cares about us more than anyone on earth ever will? Can we trust him? With the help of God, can we trust him? Amen. As tough as it is, yes, we can. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 1 reminds us to fear or be cautious that we do not come short of the rest that is promised to us. We can rest in the fact that God keeps his word. All right, up next, let's take a look at the function of a kinsman. Based from Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 5 through 10, this is a close relative who acted as a protector or a guarantor of the family rights and could be called upon to perform a number of duties, like buying back family property that had been sold or to provide an heir for a deceased brother by marrying that brother's or relative's wife and producing a child with her. If no one chose to step up, the widow would likely die in dire poverty since the laws at that time passed inheritances to the son or nearest male relative rather than the wife. This is why it was tragic to be a widow in that time frame. And this is also why those cleaner laws were put into place so at least the widows and fatherless and folks along those lines could actually feed themselves. So that's why the gleaner laws were there. Recall everybody that Naomi had no more sons, so Boaz was the nearest relative that she knew of that could redeem Ruth. Redeemers had to be blood-related, have the means to pay, and be willing to redeem and free to redeem. Do you see any similarities to a man that we all know and love? Yes, indeed, it is Jesus. Scripture calls God the Redeemer or the close relative of Israel. In fact, Isaiah chapter 60 verse 16 says, You shall know that I, the Lord, am your Savior and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. And Jesus is the Redeemer of all believers. Christ came in the flesh, John chapter 1 verse 14, and was willing and paid the perfect sacrifice. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, which loses its value, from your vain conversations 
received by the tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. And that's found in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. My family, my BCU family, who here has been redeemed from the hand of the enemy? Let the redeemed say so. Psalm 107 and 2. I'll give you a few seconds to rejoice in the Lord. Amen. Amen. All right. So now that we know that we can see the similarities here between what Boaz was doing and what Christ was going to do for us, let's get back into what is going on in Ruth chapter 3. So Naomi starts putting the kinsman plan in action and obviously had some knowledge of what the end of harvests were like, feasting and celebrations on the threshing floor. This was a place, the threshing floor, where wheat stalks were crushed by hand or with oxen. In the crushing process, the inner kernels of the precious grain were separated from the useless outer husks or what's called the chaff. The floor was made of soil or rock and was usually elevated so that the wind could blow away the chaff when the crushed wheat was thrown up in the air or what was called winnowed. That process, everyone, has some significance and you can check that out in Matthew 3 and 12 where John the Baptist says, whose fan is in his hand, and he's talking about Jesus, he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather the wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Family, we want to make sure that we are the wheat. All right, amen, amen. So we're just getting into verse two of Ruth chapter three here. So that was a little background there for you. So uh, in verse number two, Boaz was likely sleeping near his harvest to prevent theft and to wait for a chance to thresh or winnow his barley. Naomi advises Ruth to wash, anoint herself, and get dressed. Historians have said that Ruth may have been wearing her mourning clothes up until that point, and by shedding these clothes, she was ready to receive what God had for her. Figuratively speaking, and just taking a side trip, how many of us are still in mourning for what has happened to us? Maybe a broken relationship, a missed opportunity, being mistreated or scoffed at, being disrespected or dismissed by thoughtless people who should have known better? While your sadness may have been justified, it may be time to change your garment. Go to the Lord and tell him all about how you feel and allow God to heal your brokenness, restore your joy, and give you rest. Okay, let's take a look at verses 4 through 6. Naomi gave Ruth specific instructions to follow, and in turn, Ruth promised that she would do. And in verse 6, it says she did just that. She followed Naomi's directions. Let's stop here, family. It's important that we follow the directions the way that God 
gives them. As another side note, in 2 Kings chapter 5, Naaman, who was a leper, wanted to be healed. He was given a message with directions by Elisha to go down into the Jordan River and wash seven times in order to be healed. Naaman was upset for a couple of reasons. Number one was that the prophet Elisha did not come directly to Naaman. And number two, obviously the Jordan River was not the best one. Naaman uh, actually named out a couple of other ones that he thought were better. Thankfully, Naaman's servants urged him to follow the directions and he was healed. It is within our benefit, it's for our own good, with God's grace to do what God says when and how he says it. Verses 7 through 9 of Ruth chapter 3, Naomi finds Boaz, uncovers his feet, and lays there, and that's a sign of humility. And at midnight, and notice that midnight is a popular time for things to happen. The bridegroom and the ten virgins in Matthew chapter 25. Paul and Silas also sang songs and prayed unto God. And an earthquake came opening doors and loosing bands. Acts chapter 16. Just thought I'd throw that in there for you. <laughs> so when a startled Boaz is awakened at midnight and starts asking questions, Ruth mentions that she is a servant or handmaiden and asks him to spread his skirt, which was likely a cloak or an outer robe used as a cover, over her because he is a kinsman. In Hebrew term, the word skirt is typically translated and understood to mean wing or protector. God used this terminology in describing his taking of Israel as his wife. Behold, there was a time of love, and I spread my skirt over thee and covered thy nakedness. Yea, I swear unto thee, and entered into a covenant with thee, saith the Lord God, and thou became mine. And that's Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 8. Clearly, Ruth's intent was a proposal of marriage that she come under the wing or the cloak of a husband's protection, namely Boaz. If we go back to the last chapter that we were talking about, Ruth chapter 2, Boaz said to Ruth, The Lord recompense your work and a full reward be given unto you. The Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to trust. So look at how that all ties in together, how the Lord blessed that to tie in together. Now, side note to all of you, you notice that Ruth approached Boaz when it came down to the proposal. This was a custom for this time, okay? And this place, single ladies, this is not something we want to do. Please keep in mind that Boaz did approach Ruth first and Ruth responded, Please do not try this at home or any place else. Applying this situation even to our own lives, Christ took interest and approached us first. And some of us, including myself, many times and in many different ways. For those of us who are spirit-filled, we responded and we are covered 
with his feathers and trusting under his wings with his truth and shield is our buckler. And that is Psalms chapter 91 verse 4. So verses 10 through 12 is where Boaz responds favorably to Ruth, citing her kindness. And there's a Hebrew word for kindness, he said, meaning loyal love or covenant faithfulness. Not only had Ruth stuck by Naomi, but she was now seeking to fulfill the obligation of preserving the lineage and inheritance of her deceased husband, which would help her to restore the family line of Elimelech and ensure Naomi was well provided for. Boaz also mentioned that both he and the city knew Ruth as a virtuous woman. See Proverbs 31 on what that looks like for more information. Rather than Ruth seeking out any poor or rich men. Finally, Boaz did know of another relative that was closer to the front of the line in terms of redeeming her, but he promised he would take care of everything. We've talked about that in a previous post, everybody. Promises, promises. We definitely need to keep our word with the help of the Lord. And you can check out that post on blaincouragesyou.com. And that's under the heading, Five Big Lessons That the Lord Taught Me in 2015. Finally, in verses 14 through 18, Boaz continues looking out for Ruth by making sure she stayed the night. It was likely dangerous for her to go home after midnight. Nothing funny going on here, y'all. No hanky-panky now. She went home early, maybe to keep her reputation intact and his as well. And he sent her home with more grain for Naomi. Once Naomi had heard what happened, she assured Ruth that Boaz would not rest until the matter was settled that day. All right, family, we are going to stop right here. We did make it all the way through Ruth chapter 3. And yes, I do have takeaways for you that the Lord has given. I'll tell you what, let's plan to share those takeaways the next time we're together before we get into Ruth chapter 4. So that'll be sort of the prelude, if you will. So I am prayerful, family, that this study has been a blessing and a challenge to you as it has to me. The Lord gives us his word to challenge us to do better and differently in him. And that's okay because we can do all things through Christ that strengthens us. I want to take the time to say thank you so much for listening to this podcast, for sharing it with a friend or friends. And until we are together the next time, be blessed and stay on the wall.